Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and 1 Samuel chapter number 9. The book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 9. We're in the very beginning of this series of the life and ministry of David. And of course, David was a man after God's own heart, the sweetest psalmist in Israel. And through this series, we see it almost twofold, God preparing David to become king. And then the second part of our series towards the end of the year will be when David is king. But in the very first part of it, we could see a theme here that is woven throughout, that it is a comparison between two men. A comparison between Saul and a comparison of David. That remember that David was the man after God's own heart, whereas Saul was the man after the people's own heart. And we could see the reflection of both of these throughout the comparison of each one and how they responded to people, how they responded to criticism, how they responded to people that they thought was a threat. And that when you have your eyes on the Lord and when you have your heart towards the Lord and when you're abiding in Christ, you respond quite differently. In different situations that if you're going after your own heart, you will respond one way. But if you have your heart towards the Lord and you're abiding in him, you will respond in a quite different other way. As we now introduce this, we saw this morning that at the transition of the period of the judges, that the people rejected God and they demanded a king. And it broke Samuel's heart and it broke God's heart. And remember that God is a perfect gentleman that when they were determined that they wanted a king, God just gave them permission. It wasn't his will, but he gave them permission. Fine, if that's what they want. Now warn them, plead them, Samuel. Tell them what's going to happen. Tell them that trusting the government is not going to be their answer. They need to be trusting me. But instead they said we want it our own way and we don't care what the consequences are. And so as a follow-up, God is now going to give them a king, and he's going to give them a king after their own heart. He's going to give them a king that is going to be a reflection of them. And remember, they rejected the Lord, and so it's no surprise that the king after their own heart will also reject the Lord. But you know that Saul did not start off as an evil guy. He did not start off as a bad guy. In fact, God gave him every opportunity to succeed. God gave him every opportunity for him to thrive. God gave him every opportunity to trust and depend upon the Lord. And we'll see that tonight. So with that being said, please take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 9. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 9, and notice with me starting at verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Bacharoth, the son of Abatha, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders upward, he was higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, was lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Now take now one of the servants with thee, and arise and go and seek the asses. And he passed through the Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Salashia. But they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Salem, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, and they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses, and take thought for us. And he said unto him, Behold, now there is a city, a man of God. 
and he is an honorable man. All that he hath cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand a fourth part of a shekel of silver. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spoke, Come, let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where a man of God was. And as they went up the hill to a city, they found a young maidens going to draw water and said unto them, Is the seer here? And they answered him and said, He is, behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city. For there was a sacrifice of people today in the high place. As soon as ye be come into the city, ye shall straightway find him before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice. And afterward they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. And they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against the place, <laughs> against them, for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul... The Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to thee of, the same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said to him, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said to thee, Set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said, I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. And when they were come down from the high place unto the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant to pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter number 10. 1 Samuel chapter number 10. And notice with me at the end of verse 24. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 24. And notice the phrase, God save the king. God save the king. And with the Lord's help, we're going to preach about God save the king. And see as God has prepared and put Saul in the place to become the king. God save the king. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you so much that you've recorded inside of your Bible what you have planned and what you are doing. And that we could see behind the curtain that this stuff wasn't happen chance. It just didn't happen. But Lord, that we could see that your hand behind it all. And that you are moving and that you are working. And that we could see that there's a God who's always in control. A God who's sitting on the throne that we may trust you. And depend upon you. And there may be things that we don't know what you are doing. But we trust that you are working. Lord increase our faith tonight. Through the preaching of your word. Fill me with your precious spirit once again. I need you. I give you my thoughts. My ambitions. My goals. My desires. You take them all. That you fill me with your spirit. And that you would do a marvelous work. Once again tonight. Through your precious word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. God save the king. Now remember that previously the people had rejected God and rejected the idea of a theocracy that the people were supposed to seek God for themselves and they demanded a king. We want someone to tell us what to do. We want the government to take care of us. We want to be like the other nations. And God saw that their heart and that this is what they really wanted and knew that he wasn't going to talk them out of it. So he said, fine, go ahead, do what you want. But at the same time, God is still preparing and moving. So remember that Samuel dismissed all the people and said, All right, I'll get it taken care of. I'll call you together when it is time to present you to the king. I'll get this taken care of. Which now brings us now to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, notice with me, the very first thing I want to show you is God's choice for the people. God's choice for the people. Notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Notice with me in verse number 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. And the son, and it goes through all of this. And then in verse number two, and he had a son whose name was Saul. A choice young man and a goodly. And there was none, or there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. Now in verse number two, remember that the people had rejected God. And so God is going to give them a man after their own heart. Do you know that people are very visual people? That we like our leaders handsome. You don't want some deformed, crazy looking, snarled guy to be president. They actually said that back in the uh, old radio days when television was coming up, that one of the presidential debates, I think it was John F. Kennedy and uh, Nixon if I remember right, but the people who listened on the radio said that Nixon had won hands down. But those who watched television said that John F. Kennedy won because he was a young man. He was good looking. He was handsome. And, uh, and future President Nixon was not a handsome man. And so that, that caused a little bit of a problem. And so if you were to pick, say, what do people look for? If you're looking for someone who's going to be your king, you know what the most people are looking for? They're not looking for the hidden man of the heart. They're looking for the outside. They want someone to represent them well. They want someone that takes good pictures. Someone who looks good on magazines. Someone that you could portray and say, that's my president. That's my king. That's my leader. And so in verse 2, we could see as this man is represented, notice in verse 2, it's talking about this son and, the, and that he's a son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, meaning this was someone that people would choose themselves, and a goodly. And a goodly is an idea, uh, it's a phrase we don't use today, but it carries the idea of handsome. This is a good looking guy. That when you look at him, you go, Wow. That's a good-looking guy. And that's what you want. But not only is he good-looking, not only does he have the nice good looks that people want to have, notice it says this. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. This guy is not just handsome, but he's one of the most handsome-looking guys in all of Israel. Then notice this. And from his shoulders upward, he was higher than any of the people. Meaning, not only is he handsome, he's tall. He, how tall is he? That for most people, the average person would come to his shoulders. So you can imagine, this is a tall guy. Six foot something. Six foot five. Six foot six. That's a pretty big giant next to everybody else. 
And he's good looking. Isn't that who you'd like to be your president? Isn't that who you'd like to represent you? Who's your president? You want some weak little guy? Hi, guys. Glad to see you guys. Hi, you doing all right? No, you want a man. You want someone when he walks in the room, everyone goes, whoa. That's a man. Look at him. He's young. He's got youth. He's not going to die. Look at him. He's handsome. When he walks in there, of course he could be with the kings. Look at how handsome he is. Oh, look at the power and strength he has. Look at how tall he is. That's my president. That's what you're looking for in a president. Someone who portrays strength. Someone who portrays beauty. Someone that can captivate an audience. That's what you want. And by the way, that's what they got. He got a man, the people got a man after their own heart. Because man looked on the outward appearance. But God looks on the inward man. You understand that Saul had some character traits that were missing inside of his life. But they don't show up on the outside. You can't just look at someone and see if they're a liar. Hey, you can't look at a Christian and look at their life and see if they've read their Bible just by looking at their life. You know, there's some inward man to the heart. You could look good, put on the right clothes, put the Bible under your arm, and you could look spiritual, but be so far from God. You could fool people, and you could make it so people follow you because of how you carry yourself, but be so far away from God. And again, God is making the choice. This is what the people want. The people want a king, and when they want a king, they're not gonna they're gonna reject an idea of some weakling. So here we go. Here's a guy that's good looking. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being good looking. Here's a guy that's tall. There's nothing wrong with being tall. But it's the inward man of the heart that matters. And Saul didn't have it. But he said, This is what the people are looking for, and this is what the people are gonna get. Which brings us now to the next thing. Not only do we see God's choice for the people, but something amazing here and a principle I want you to get is God's unconscious preparation. God's unconscious preparation. Now, what is this God's unconscious preparation that I mentioned here? What does this mean? Well, we understand that God inside of our life makes choices for us. Now, there's some choices we make for ourselves but there are some choices that make God makes for us. For example, before you were born, God didn't say, all right, here, each baby, who do you want your parents to be? You didn't have a choice of that. Otherwise, some of you may stay with Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or something like that. You didn't have the choice. You did, was not asked before you were born where you were going to be born. Otherwise, everyone would be born in Texas. We knew that. You didn't have a choice when you would be born. Some of you would have been more comfortable in the 1800s, horse and buggy type frame. Some of you would be feel better in the future. But you did not get a choice of when you were going to be born. God chose for you. And all of these, God's choices he made for you, he does with a purpose he doesn't give a lottery and say, hey, you know what, so-and-so needs a baby. Ah, let's pick you. Here you go. But God has a plan, and he knows who your parents were. He knew you're raising. He knew some of the things that happened in your life. And you know, there are some things inside of your life that you would have never chosen for yourself. But God chose for you because you needed it. There are some things that God puts in your path to put in your way to divert your path for a reason. And that's God's unconscious preparation. That God is always at work. And some of the things that you think are getting in your way, obstacles are actually God's protection because God is doing something with you. Some of those opportunities, those doors that close on you, why did you close that door? Because God has something else planned for you. And there are choices that you make for yourself. But there are choices that God makes for you. And that's God's unconscious preparation. And God does that for each and every one of us. We see this evidenced here in the story of Saul. Because if you told Saul a day before this, Hey Saul, guess what? 
You're going to be king of Israel. He said, what on the world are you drinking? What are you smoking? What's wrong with you? Mental problems? He's out tending sheep. He's out there dealing with the donkeys. What are you doing? I, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. But do you know in a short amount of time he's going to be king? He had no clue. So where did it start? Well, it started one day when he's working on his dad's ranch. And a couple of the donkeys go loose. And they run away. Saul, go get them. Saul, you're the baby of the family. It's your job. You got to go take care of them. I don't want to leave the rest of them. So you go get them. Go grab a servant. You go. Yes, sir. And he marches on. Notice what occurs starting at verse 3. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Now take one of the servants with thee, and arise and seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim. Now in verse number 4 is a very important verse because it deals with Bible geography. That if you have no clue where they are, you don't realize how far that Saul is running. Is it down the street? Does he go from Elm Street to Oak Street and then find him on Maple Street? No, this is actually locations as he's heading south from Mount Ephraim all the way down. Notice he starts from Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shishala, but they found him not. Then they passed through the land of Shalom. And they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites. But they found him not. And I think in my mind, where are the barbed wire fences? I meant they wandered away. They wandered several states away. Now I know Israel's quite small. But if you can imagine in your mind that traveling and kind of your mind's eye. That Saul and his servant walk looking for these donkeys. And they're traveling, let's just for illustration's sake, traveling from Green Bay all the way down to um, Oshkosh. That's a pretty big travel, especially if you're on foot. You know, somewhere in my mind, me being me, not being there, like, really, did they travel this far south? I mean, am I looking in the right place? I mean, that's a quite a distance away. And he's looking and looking. He's traveling several days. By the way, how many days would it take you to get from here to Oshkosh. Probably a little while, right? And so <clears throat> they're traveling. And Saul didn't have this on his agenda. He didn't plan for this. But it's a distance away. And they go to this one place. Hey, have you seen any missing donkeys? Again, I don't know how in the world they're doing this. It's not like they have locators. It's not like they have little GPS things tagged on them. You know, they're pretty much going down and saying, hey, have you seen these donkeys? And trusting that people are going to be honest. Nope, I haven't seen them at all. Or they went that away. I mean, all the conversation had happened. Or maybe there's wandering fields. Maybe they're just such a good tracker that they're tracking down. Oh, yeah, here's some donkey tracks right here. They look fresh. Maybe just half a day. I don't know how they're doing it. But they're tracking all the way down and traveling down south. And so now they're traveling for a couple days. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 5. And when they were come to the land of Zuth. So now they come to another place. They're inside of the country of Benjamin. Inside of this land here. And Saul said to his servant that was with him. Come let us return. Lest my father leave the caring for the asses. And take thought for us. Alright. Hey we traveled too far. I don't know where they're at. Let's just go home before my dad says. Where's that boy at? Alright let's go. And the servant noticed this. In verse number 6, and he said to him, so the servant said to Saul, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is honorable, and all that he saith come surely to pass. Now let us go thither, peradventure he can show us our way, and what we should go. Now isn't it interesting that it just so happened, I like it when in the Bible it just so happened, that when Saul gave up and said, you know what, let's go home. The servant says, hey, you know, I heard that there's a preacher in this city. Why don't we go ask the preacher what we should do? Well, Saul says, well, that's a nice idea to go ask the preacher, but we don't have anything left. We ate the rest of our food. Probably the reason why he wanted to go home because he's out of food. I don't have anything to give him. 
Now, back then, it makes a big deal that the, uh, the prophets were called seers. This was a time of transition from the period of the judges to the kings. And so beforehand, they were called seers because they were supposed to see and kind of tell you what God's will is and, and, and determine what God would want for you. And then they turn to the prophets where they are foretelling and foretelling and preaching God's word. There's a transition here. But they search and they said, I don't know. And the servant says, here, I got, I got a quarter of a shekel. Let's just go give this to the man of God and see if the guy could tell us what we're supposed to do. And so they go. And as they travel into the city, Saul and his servant come up. And they see some maidens out there tending <laughs> and doing their chores. And Saul comes up. Now, can you imagine this big rugged guy coming from the fields? Probably hasn't had a bath in a while, but that probably didn't matter as much back then. Big, huge guy. Handsome goes in front of these maidens and says, hey guys, have you seen the preacher? Oh yeah. They had no problems telling him where the preacher's at. Sure, the preacher's in town. And by the way, it just so happened that there's having a big feast right now. And it just so happens that no one's going to eat until the, the preacher gets there and blesses the food. So they're all waiting for him. And it's about time that you could go catch him on his way to go to this meal. Okay. And so they go. And they start heading that away. Isn't it God good? Can you almost see that God is preparing? He's allowed the asses. The donkeys to be missing. And he puts Saul at the right place. At the right time. Was that of Saul's choosing? No. It was what God chose for him. To put him at the right place. At the right time. What if he lollygagged? Well, he wouldn't have been at the right place at the right time. It was God that was leading him. And he put him right here. And it just so happened that there's a big festival where the preacher has to show up. Isn't that wonderful? And so he goes. And as they start walking, they see this old guy. Very old guy. And the old guy's walking and he's preparing. And Saul goes up and says, hey, you seen the preacher? And the old guy, I can imagine Samuel with his big wizened beard, turn and grin and say, there you are. Why? Well, it just so happened the day before that God whispered in Samuel's ear and said, hey, tomorrow this time you're going to meet the king. Think about that. You know God's able to tell the preacher some things. Hey, tomorrow you're going to meet the king. You're going to find the king and he's going to be there. He's going to come to you. You imagine that it, several days have passed. Can you imagine that Samuel probably spending some night saying, where in the world am I going to find a king at? Well, you know, he didn't have to look for a king. God brought the king to him. God's always working. God's working in Samuel's life too. He didn't have to go searching or fretting. God said, you be still and I'll bring the king to you. Amen. And so Saul's coming down the road. Samuel's walking, preparing, and God says, there he is. That's a good looking man. That's a big man. That's who I want to be king. All right, let's have fun now. Notice as we pick it up in verse number 15. And now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. And thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel that he may serve my... Save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spoke, uh, spake of thee of, the same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. So Samuel's waiting, watches Saul come up. Hey, you seen where the preacher is? Yeah, I think I know him. Verse number 19, And Samuel said to Saul, I am the seer. Go up with me to the high place, and you shall eat me with me today. For tomorrow I will let thee go, and I will tell thee all that is in thine heart. So Saul comes up to Samuel and says, Hey, you see the preacher? Yeah, that's me. How about this? I'm going to this festival up here, and I want you to sit right next to me. There's going to be important people here, but you're going to sit right next to me. What? <laughs> How did this just happen? Then, you know what Samuel did? Notice what he said in next verse 20. 
And as for thine asses that there were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on thy father's house? So Saul didn't even say why he was here, but Samuel said, don't worry about those asses. They're found. They're already back at your dad's place. You're the one that's lost right now. But guess what? You're exactly where you're supposed to be. You know, God brought him here. Aren't you glad that uh, Saul's father didn't lose the donkeys? They came back. Now Saul is free to take care of this business. You'd almost think that God is putting things in place. You would almost think, if you didn't know any better, that God is putting the pieces on the board and putting people at the right place at the right time. It's almost if God was in control. Almost if you didn't know any better that God knew what he was doing. And so sure enough, Saul hears all of this and says, wait a second, don't you know who I am? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, we're the smallest. If you remember uh, the book of Judges, that there was a civil war and because of a misunderstanding that happened and sin and whatnot, that the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out. And so they were the smallest of the tribe. And Kish, Saul's father, was one of the smallest families inside of the tribe of Benjamin. And he's saying, what are you talking about? I'm going to sit next to you and you're going to honor me? I'm a nobody. Why in the world do you want to hang out with a nobody and sit in this big fancy meal with all the important people and have a nobody sitting right next to you? This doesn't make sense. Well, again, Saul didn't make choices. God made some choices for him. And so they go on. In verse number 22, And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place that where they were bidden, which were about 30 men, persons. And then he talks to the cook and said, Hey, cook, you remember that meat that I gave you yesterday? And I told you to set it aside and cook it? Bring it out now. And so Saul's sitting here in front of this fe uh, feast, and the cook brings out this big shoulder uh, of an animal. I mean, it was some meat on it. Now, he's a big boy. Imagine just this huge shoulder blade with a lot of meat on it. Set it down and said, there you go. Well, inside of a meeting like this, only the most honored guest would have a portion this big. So what he said is that out of all these important guys, the most important person sitting here is Saul. That's a humbling experience. Still hasn't had his bath yet. He's the most important person here. Could you imagine him? Imagine what you'd be feeling. What in the world is going on? I mean, what would you be thinking? I mean, it'd be hard to concentrate on your thoughts and put them together. You'd be like, what is going on? Imagine Saul's suspense level. Notice as it goes on that they talk all night. Notice with me in Verse number 25. And when they were come down from the high place of the city, Samuel communed with Saul on the top of the house. So that means after the meal, they talked and they talked and they talked. Then the next day, verse 26, and they rose up early and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house saying, up that I may send thee away. And Saul arose and they went, both of him, he and Samuel abroad. So they went out and they walked to the edge of the city. Then he said, Saul, Tell your servant to go ahead a little bit. I'm going to show you something from the word of God. All right, so the servant goes up. So we see here that we start off with God's choice for the people. That he gave them a man who was tall. A man who was good looking. A man who was young and could carry the office. And all throughout it, God is working. We see God's unconscious preparation that he's preparing. That he is working. And then we see something else. God's confirmation by the prophets. God's confirmation by the prophets. Now, here where we left them is that Saul and Samuel are standing on the road outside of the city. The servant has moved on ahead so that way Saul could talk to Samuel. Samuel could talk to Saul privately. Notice with me in chapter 10 in verse 1. And Samuel took a vial of oil. Isn't it wonderful that Samuel was prepared for it? He's been having this vial all morning ready to go. And he took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him. And said, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain of his inheritance? So he takes this oil, sends the servant guy over and said, pours it on his head. Now, imagine this. You're standing there and you're watching the preacher anoint you with oil in the middle of the street. What in the world's going on? 
Hey, by the way, God made you king. How about that? How would you like to be told tomorrow that you're going to be president? Good job. Good luck. What in the world is going on? I've been working in the fields. Now you want me to be king? Verse number two. And when thou had departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin to Zazla. And then they will say to thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? Then thou shalt go forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabar. And there thou shalt meet three men going up to the God to up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee the two loaves of bread which thou shalt receive of their hands. And it goes on and says they're going to prophesy. Now, why is this so important? Well, once again, because this is a transitional phase that up to this time, God did not authorize a king. And so now he had to prove that this was of God. Now he does this later on in the New Testament days when he now authorizes the church. Remember that the church was not pictured, not prophesied, not spoken of of the Old Testament. And so in order to prove to the Jewish people that the church was of God, that God sent sign gifts to prove to the Hebrew people that the church was authorized of God. Because this is a transition, they needed some type of sign from God that this was of God's doing. That this wasn't some crazy old guy who lost his marble said, Hey, 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 guess what? You're going to be king and run away uh, crackling to himself and walking off. And like, what did that crazy guy do? You see, they need it more than man's word. They need it proof. And so Saul does walk back and he sees some guys saying, there you are, Saul. The donkeys came back, but your dad hasn't been able to find you. He's looking for you. Are you all right? Sure. And as they're walking back, they're heading and they meet some guys heading to Bethel. And as they're eating, going to Bethel, it says that God fills Saul with the spirit and he begins to prophesy. This word prophesy in this case carries the idea of preach. That he got filled with the Holy Ghost and began to preach. Bless God. Let me tell you what God has done for you. And in the middle of the street, he's preaching and he's prophesying. And, and, and it, they, everyone knows that this isn't Saul. That Saul was not a preacher. This is not his normal thing. But God has authorized. And he's put his spirit on it. And people recognize that something is different here. Again, this was to put God's stamp of approval upon Saul and saying, this is the man. But this also tells us something else. That God was willing to give of Saul of his spirit because he was willing to work in Saul's life. Do you understand that God did not want Saul to go bad? He gave them every opportunity for Saul to succeed. Even giving him his spirit. He wanted Saul to do well. He wanted Saul to succeed. And if Saul would have just kept himself humble, if he still would have just trusted the Lord and not rejected God, he would have turned out all right. But he rejected God. But it was not God's fault. God did not make Saul go bad. And he did not intend for Saul to go bad. That was never his desire. Saul made his own choice. And you know, we do understand that this, that God has an unconscious preparation and that there are choices that we make for ourselves and there are choices that God makes for us. But even with all of those choices, God does not take away our will. That we still have to choose to follow after him. We still have to choose to abide in him. That God gives us every single one of us, every opportunity to succeed. It is us that walk away from God. God does not walk away from us. It is us that choose not to follow him. It is us that fail. It was not God. That God had given Saul every opportunity to succeed. And this is proof of it here. Of what God is doing. And that God is telling everyone. This is my man. This is the one that we're choosing. This is the one that I want you to have. Which now brings us to the last part here. That we started off with God's choice for the people. That we took the principle of God's unconscious preparation. Then we understood that <coughs> God's confirmation by the prophets. 
then we see God's calling of the people. God's calling of the people. Now remember, originally the people came to Samuel and said, we want a king. And Samuel dismissed him and said, all right, I'll call you back when we get a king. Well, they have a king. Time to call the people. And so they call the people. Notice with me in verse number 13, uh, 14. And Saul's uncle said unto him and to his servant, Whither went ye? And he said, To seek the asses. And when we came, I saw that there were none there. We came to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell, tell me, I pray thee, what Samuel said to, to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the asses were found. But the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake, he told him not. <laughs> so remember, the servant wasn't there. And when Saul got, Samuel got, or Saul got home, he didn't tell his family either. I think I'm going to keep this kind of quiet. I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm supposed to be king. I mean, imagine if you went home and said, guess what? God wants me to be king. How would your family react? Especially if they knew you. And so he said, I think I'd better keep this quiet. Better keep it to myself. So what happens is that Samuel calls the people. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 17. And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord, unto Mizpah. And he said to the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have brought Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you. Out of all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. What a way to start a kingly address. Hey, we're going to anoint a king today. But I want to let you know that you're only getting a king because you rejected God. That's a good way to start a reign, right? The only reason why you're getting this king. The only reason why you're getting office is because you don't want God. So here's what's second best. Here's your next choice. That's not much of a choice, is it? Would you rather have God be your boss or the king and let you be your boss? Probably God would be a better ruler. <laughs> Probably. And so they start off. And what they do is they cast lots. Remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel. And so they cast lots to figure out, all right, which tribe is it from? And it comes to Benjamin. And then Benjamin had several houses and they picked out the houses. Finally, they get to the house of Kish and they said, all right, the person who wins, the person that God has chosen, the person who's going to be king is, hey, where'd he go? And then they can't find him. Notice if you don't mind in verse number uh, 21. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families and by the family of Matra was taken, Saul the son of Kish was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Many of you would probably react the same way. I think I'm going to go hide somewhere. Forget this. Uh, probably not where I want to be at. So he took off and hid. Now, let's pause here. Again, this probably tell you a little bit of character, right? This big hunk, manly, strong, good looking, is hiding. I don't want to be king. Please, no. <laughs> That's probably not going to be. See, you almost have a couple different signs that say, this is not going to work out the way that we thought it would. It starts off by saying, hey, the only reason why you get king, here's second best, because you won't accept God as a king. So here's second best. And then they pick the guy and said, all right, here's your king. Where's he at? I think he's hiding. Well, there's our king, guys. Good luck. Notice as it goes on. Verse 22. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should come hither. And the Lord said, Behold, he has hid himself among the stuff. Now, aren't you glad that stuff's in the Bible? That's a good Bible word, stuff. Ah, he's hiding over there among the stuff. Look behind the barrel. There he is. You know... As much as you try to hide from God, God knows where you are at all times. He knows exactly where you are. And he knows why you're there. God knows everything about you. Notice verse 23. And they ran and fetched him from thence. I can just imagine. Go get your king. He's hiding behind the stuff. All right, king, come on. And they drag him out. Again, you'd almost think in your mind that this is not going to work out well. Maybe in your mind. Maybe. Maybe it's just not going to work out. But they pull him out and they force him. Here's our king. And they force him up there. Here you go. 
And they ran and fetched him from thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people's shoulders and upward. That's probably what did it. They stood him up and he's standing above everyone. That's our king. They probably forgot that he was hiding. They're just looking how good looking he is, how tall he is, how powerful he is, how young he is. That's our king. Forgetting that he was just hiding. People wouldn't do that today, would they? Never. Where they would just look at the guy. Oh, no. And they forget all the stuff about his past. And oh, maybe. Yeah, you know. And Samuel said to all the people, see him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Big celebration now. Saul's pushing front and they're all saying, God save the king. God save the king. And you thought that phrase just started in England. God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel and all the people sent all the people away and every man to his house. Here in verse 25, it says that Saul, Samuel recorded in the Bible this incident so we could have it here to read it for ourselves. So Samuel's writing this down and says, all right, this is what happened. This is what happened to Saul. This is how he met us. It's, uh, he records it down. God put scripture. But then notice the reactions here, the responses to God's authority. Now, by the way, who put Saul in charge? God. Now, was Saul necessarily the most righteous, perfect guy? No, but he was still God's authority. Notice the two responses to God's authority. Verse 26. And Saul went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So here some men that God touched their hearts. And they said, we're here for the king. We want to serve the king. We want to obey the king. This is God's authority. Whatever we can do for the king. We're submitted to him. We see the idea of submission. But verse 27. But the children of Belial. That's another name for the devil. The children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presence, but he held his peace. Even in the midst of this, the people rejected God. So it's no wonder that they also rejected God's authority over their life. But we see this response over and over in the Bible that whenever you, re you come to biblical authority, you respond one or two ways. You either respond by submission or you by rebellion. Remember, submission is not just doing God's will. It's delighting in God's will. For example, we use the illustration quite often. Go tell your teenager to go clean the room. And they go. Did they submit or rebel? They rebelled. Because it is a matter of the heart. You see this all throughout here. And that you have people that are so against God. That they will not submit to his authority. And may I tell you another principle? That if you will not submit to visible authority, you will not submit to invisible authority. And that was the whole thing the whole time, is that people did not want to submit to God. And so they're not going to submit to God's authority. The people that God had touched their heart, they were willing to submit to authority. Even if he was not right, they were still willing to submit. You see, it's all a matter of a heart. The whole books of 1 Samuel deal with this. It is a matter of the heart. It's not the outward, it's the inward. It's your heart that matters the most. And throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to see the contrast of Saul's heart and David's heart. Both of them were chosen of God. In fact, both of them were anointed by Samuel. Both of them were given every tool to succeed, including God's spirit. What went wrong? Their heart. Saul decided he was going to go into business for himself, which we'll see later, where David submitted himself unto the Lord. But as for this time here, what is the principle we're trying to learn? God's unconscious preparation. That there are choices that you make for yourself and there are choices that God makes for you. Your response is, do you trust him? Do you know that there's some things that you wouldn't have wanted to choose in your life, but is the best thing for you? The Bible gives the principle of the, of the treasures in darkness. That the worst things that could ever happen to you in your life could turn to be the greatest things that ever happened to you because they draw you closer to the Lord. God is always at work.
And so when you come to the idea, every part of your life, you respond by force or you re respond by faith. I'll give you an example. Tomorrow morning, what little Green Bay traffic we have, you get stuck in it. There's an accident. I'm going to be late for work. How dare you? Force or faith? Maybe God is keeping you protected from an accident that was ahead. We don't know, but can you trust him? Maybe God's allowing you uh, the opportunity to talk to someone who's going to cross your path that you would have missed if you were there earlier. I don't know, and neither do you. But the principle is, can you trust him? Can you trust him? There are choices that God makes in your life. You break your arm. How dare God do this to me? Why? Could it be that God has a plan for that? Maybe God had a desire to do something. Maybe he was trying to teach you a lesson. Maybe he was trying to draw you closer. Maybe he needed you to depend on him faith. I don't know, but can you trust that God had a plan? My basement's flooded. Why does God hate me? You either respond by force or you respond by faith. Can you trust God? And every little aspect, you know that your life is not going to go the way that you want it to go. There's going to be some things you did not plan for. Can you trust that God knows what he's doing? That God has a plan. That God is working. That God knows what he's doing after all. That God has some choices he makes for you. But there's a reason for each one of those choices. And so the principle tonight. Will you respond to God by faith? Maybe you're going through something right now. I don't know. Maybe you have some family problems. Maybe you have some financial problems. Maybe you have some physical problems. You're going to respond to it one of two ways, either by force or by faith. Can you trust that God knows what he's doing? That's the principle here. Can you trust him? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.